the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For those of you who haven't heard the show before, hey, listen, welcome. We're glad to have you. But the show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate. You know, the second part of the show, and it's not an equal part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. We're going to talk a lot about politics and, and history today. We're going to have uh, our last guest is going to be Dr. Alveda King. And, and those of you who listen to the show, you know Alveda King's on the show every few months or so. And she was front and center with President Trump on his address to the Right to Life rally last week. Then we've got Charles Colum, who who's a author with Crisis Magazine, and he's talking about his article, The Catholic Case Against Impeachment. And then we have another, those of you know, a lot of times we talk to people from the, the London Center, and Charles Schaefer is going to be on, and, and he's going to be talking about the pandemic in China and the, its effect on, you know, the U.S. So we got a full-pack show today. Now, my wife Beth is away for a few days, so we've got one of our attorneys, Mel Jose, stepping into the breach. Hi, Mr. Connors. Thanks for having me here again. Okay. Mel, one thing. Where'd you go to law school? So I graduated from Sinbeta College in Manila um, about <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> so. Okay. Now, where's Manila? In the Philippines. Okay. All right. You got to make that clear. You know, it's not, not, you know, southern L.A. or something like that. No. No. That's Philippines. Okay. Are you, so you're an attorney in the Philippines. I, I've been an attorney in the Philippines since 2015, moved here in 20. No, 2005, sorry. They moved here in 2015, practice law in New York. So now you have a question there. Can you can you please read yeah. the, the first question you have? This question touches on our advocacy at Connors & Sullivan. Um, it's from Ashley. Dear Mr. Connors, my husband and I have been married for six years. We are both under 40 years of age and have two children under five years of age. We purchased a home two years ago. My question is, when should we be thinking about getting a will in place? Are we too young to think about those things yet? Here's one thing. Yes, you should have a will. Nobody is too young to have a will. And especially in ca in your case, one of the main reasons that you want to do a will is to appoint a guardian for your children. 
You know, that's one of the most important parts about a will. You know, if you have children under the age of 18, you need to appoint a guardian. And somebody say, well, I don't need a guardian. You know, my my children were baptized and and they have godparents. A godparent has absolutely no legal authority in New York State. If you want to appoint some, if you want to appoint somebody as a guardian, you can do it in two different ways. One is a will. And in your will, you appoint a guardian, usually in case something happens to you and your wife, you and your spouse. Two, you can appoint a guardian through deed. And I've, you know, it's in the statute. I've never really seen it happen. I, we've done it a couple of times when people were in dire straits. And because the problem with probate, if you appoint somebody through your will, it may take the courts months, if not years, to approve the will before the guardian can and effectively discharge his or her duty. So you can you can do uh, appoint a guardian through a, uh, a deed. But at the same time, if you're going to do that, let's do a will. Because, and some people sometimes don't even realize, let's say you got a husband and wife. Husband's in a car accident. He passes away. There's a lawsuit. Many people don't realize that half the money from the lawsuit will go to the children, and it will go to the children on their 18th birthday, which necessarily, do you want an 18-year-old to have a substantial amount of assets in his or her name alone? No. With the will, you can say they get whatever inheritance they get when they're 25, when they're 30. You pick the age, and you pick the person to manage the money for them until they come of that age. If you have young children, you should do a will. You should do some planning. That's a no-brainer. Mel, what's the next question? All right. This is a big one. Hi, Mike. This, this, this question is from Will. Hi, Mike. My uncle is going to an assisted living facility and is thinking about selling his house that is in a trust. For tax purposes, would you say it's best to sell it after he passes? Or can we sell it now and use the proceeds to care for him? The answer to both questions is, well, yes, you can use the proceeds from the sale to pay for his care. Two, tax-wise, it is much better to hold the house till after he's gone. And, you know, it's not a perfect world. Sometimes you have to make decisions when you're dealing with estate planning. Where are you going to get the money to pay for assisted living? There are very few assisted livings in New York that take Medicaid. So for the most part, if you go into assisted living, you got to pay the bill. And sometimes if you don't sell the house, you're not going to be able to pay the bill. At the same time, if you can hold the house till after your uncle is gone, the day he passes away, if you sell that house, there's no capital gains. Capital gains are wiped out by his death. At the same time, if your uncle's in assisted living because of a medical reason, there's a good shot what you pay the assisted living facility can be used as a tax deduction. So maybe we won't get you know killed on those capital gains taxes. And you know, almost everybody, all of our clients, they usually have a pretty good, uh, pretty big capital bill bill because they paid a hundred thousand for the house and it's worth a million, it's worth two million, whatever. So that's why we like, if at all possible, to keep the house within the trust until the person passes away, and then we can sell the house completely tax free. And there's very little death tax, estate tax in New York. have to be worth almost as much as $6 million to pay an estate tax in New York, and that's almost $12 million federally. Each week, Kevin McCullough takes a question from our email list, and he asks it on his show for his listeners. And and you can hear Kevin McCullough on Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock on 570 The Mission where some of you hear our show from. And, of course, others of you hear our show on 970 The Answer. And you can hear Kevin again at 5 o'clock each Monday through Friday. Wednesday, he has an additional hour because he's dealing with John Katzmatidis. So take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you that Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan, the law firm of choice and the one I trust when it comes to end-of-life issues, state law, elder care, all that stuff, uh, joins us to answer one of your questions. And this week, an anonymous uh, askee said, Mike, what is a premises trust, and is that different from other trusts? Mike Connors. Yeah, well, a premises trust is a trust that we establish usually where personal residence is in there, the premises, 
and where we get the tax advantages of ownership for the grantor of the trust, which is ordinarily the parents. Uh, how is that different from other trusts? Well, every trust in theory is different from another trust. And I, I always tell people, don't get too hooked up on what you call a trust. What we want to concentrate on is what does the trust say? A trust is a very flexible document. We can write a trust however you want it to be written. In other words, if somebody comes in, I talk to them, figure out what their goals are. We establish a trust agreement and, and carry out the wishes. But the name of a trust is not important. It's what does the trust say. But, you know, there are hundreds of different trusts, and we couldn't go through all of them in, you know, in the time we have now. Right. But if people have a question about what should or shouldn't be in their trust, if they're handling their right piece of property or possessions or wishes properly, uh, the best way to, to handle that is to just call Connors and Sullivan directly. Their phone line and their friendly staff are always standing by 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You can also send your question to Mike Connors, askmikeconnors at gmail.com. He'll answer one every week right here on Kevin McCullough Radio, and he'll answer a whole bunch more. Or on his own show, uh, Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock on AM 570, The Mission, and FM 102.3, and Sunday mornings starting at 11 o'clock on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks again, Kevin. Now, again, we got a full house of, of interviews today. First, we have Anthony Schaefer from the London Center. Then we have Charles Colum from the Catholic Case Against Impeachment. And we're going to wrap it up with Alveda King, Black History Month. Planned Parenthood. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest is, is Anthony Schaefer, retired lieutenant colonel, 
He's working for the London Center for Policy Research. Well, welcome to the show, Tony. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be on with you. So okh- thanks, uh, thanks for going through us today. All right. First, can you tell the audience, what is the London Center for Policy Research? Yeah, we are a national security think tank that focuses on um, uh, threats, uh, everything from pandemics to uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, And uh, part of what Herb London also incorporated was essentially looking at the legal and uh, policy foundations of, of these issues. Uh, so we have a very, very wide range of fellows from uh, Jim Woolsey, his former director of CIA, to Sidney Powell, the, the, the lawyer, a former federal prosecutor, who's now defending Mike Flynn. Uh, uh, I work very closely with uh, 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 some of the former Reagan national security uh, staff that worked directly with President Reagan. Uh, Dr. Chris Lehman, who advised President Reagan on nuclear weapons, has joined our board. And my, my dear friend and mentor, Bud McFarlane. The National Security Advisor, President Reagan, is one of our uh, thought leaders, and we do a series of things. Uh, uh, we are a New York-based think tank. Uh, Dr. Herb London founded it. Uh, Herb, uh, Dr. London passed uh, November of year before last, and uh, our focus now is living up to his uh, his legacy, living up to his interests, and essentially uh, uh, having us be, be, as we were before, a think-and-do tank. We don't simply think about these things. Uh, you've had Tim Wilson, one of our senior fellows on before. Tim is heavily engaged in uh, working with us to establish a, uh, a first-of-its-kind conference looking at the economic uh, as well as military benefits of the Second Amendment. That's coming up uh, in May of this year. Uh, and uh, I just came from uh, discussions regarding uh, the, uh, the issues in China, looking at uh, the threats to the economic well-being of the United States based on uh, what we think will, is kind of a tidal wave on the horizon regarding this sort of thing and we'll uh, we'll sift we'll sift through the the facts and try to figure out what the best policy proscripts are for the for this administration all right let's get back a second the pandemic in in china what are you guys working on what do you recommend what do you think is going to happen one of the folks we've been working with uh, is dr stephen hatfield stephen uh you may recall what his case against the uh, Department of Justice and the FBI regarding the anthrax issue. He was wrongly accused, uh, and, and during the time uh, that we've been working with him, we've been using his experience uh, to examine facts uh, that relate to uh, potential threats. And he wrote a book, uh, 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 Three Seconds from Midnight. It's just out looking at uh, the, the very issues that we're now potentially being faced with regarding uh, the uh, the uh, the virus uh, that's now spreading through China. Uh, so we uh, we've been examining uh, the potentiality of these sorts of things. Stephen uh, worked, as you may know, uh, with U.S. Army AMRADS, which was the uh, infectious disease center that the military put together during the Cold War to examine uh, foreign countries putting together biological. Uh, capabilities as uh, as weapons, weaponization of biological uh, uh, viruses and things like that. So we are uh, essentially looking, we've been looking at this for uh, two years now. Um, and uh, again, that's part of what we try to do as a think tank, as a national security think tank, is examine uh, the horizon for things that, that may be something we have to pay attention to uh, and trying to uh, essentially, uh, I, I don't want to say forecast, uh, or, or predict. I, I want to say we, we examine trends and try to understand what may be as we uh, examine the policy issues that, uh, that, that we have to, to essentially inform the administration, members of Congress and others on what uh, that should do to help. 
Let me ask you, what's the worst case scenario in China, the pandemic? Well, it's two things. First is um, the economic damage that a major pandemic will cause inside of China. Remember, we just came to a uh, a, a deal, a trade deal that the president worked with, worked uh, uh, on very hard with China to establish a more fair balance. With that said, uh, most of our prescription uh, drugs, uh, most of the of the things we uh, actually use in America regarding uh, 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 vaccines are produced in China. So it's going to be ironic if uh, we've uh, allowed too much of our own internal needs to be farmed out to a third country. So we have to be concerned about that. Uh, we always look at uh, production issues regarding the fact that there may be critical elements we need to produce in a crisis, time of crisis, that we can't depend on a third country for. So that's number one. Number two, uh, we've established uh, globally a just-in-time system of commerce. Uh, basically, things are produced. They're moved rapidly through a very robust transportation system, and they arrive in, in markets all over the world uh, on time for consumers to use. Uh, that is jeopardized. Uh, the, the fact is that uh, the Chinese uh, like are a very vital member of the world community, and uh, whatever happens in China regarding their production will affect all Americans in, in some instance in some form. So even if they're successful in, in uh, containing the virus, they're working very hard, they're creating literally building nearly overnight hospitals to contain this outbreak, even if uh, they're successful, their own economy, the Chinese economy, will suffer, and, and inevitably the rest of the world will also feel the uh, the effects of whatever happens in China. Can you explain that to the audience? Let's say, you know, because some people might say, well, what difference does it make what happens in China? We're the United States. Yeah. Well, two, two areas. As I mentioned, uh, right now we depend on them pretty much for nearly 100% of our vaccines. Anything we, we need to use to inoculate the American public, uh, is uh, produced there. Uh, I think it's a, an area of our economy and commercial capability that we should never have uh, diminished to the point of where we don't have it here in the United States. This, this could be a, a hugely dangerous issue. Uh, we've recommended that certain elements of, uh, of the economy be able to produce certain grades of steel, for example, that we may need in a wartime situation. Uh, this is a critical factor regarding our ability to be independent and protect the American people. Secondly, uh, along the same line, uh, we have to understand that because we have become so uh, completely enmeshed as a world economy, that uh, any disruption of any great degree in any major center of production will affect uh, the goods and services that we have here in the United States. And uh, companies like Home Depot, Costco, uh, uh, any any major company that depends on China for goods and goods uh, will in inevitably see something happen to the ability to to have these products on hand, and thereby affecting uh, uh, the economy here. Costs, uh, services, and all those sorts of things will inevitably be affected. And so these are the things we try to look at as a think tank to examine uh, the potential policy issues that that go with disruptions and what uh, what needs to be done to prepare for these sorts of uh, potential uh, catastrophic events uh, in other nations. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's going to be an sure. effect on the American election? Well, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the, the great effects, uh, I think, that's been created by President Trump is a roaring economy. I think his re removal of, of, uh, of certain restrictions, certain regulations, 
uh, have been uh, immensely effective. Uh, Steve Moore uh, has been very good about touting the fact that the president has linked, like no other president, uh, the economy to our national security. Basically, uh, the more we can do to protect the American, the interests of the American people, to make them prosperous, as a, a side benefit of protecting the United States, making us stronger. Uh, and that's what we're going to have to look at at the next election. What what will happen, uh, and how will that affect? Uh, who we elect to the White House. Uh, let's face it, most of the folks I've seen uh, on the Democrat side, uh, with a handful of uh, exceptions, uh, are not for uh, free trade, are not for an open, robust, uh, free, uh, you know, basically a free economy, an economy that's governed on enterprise, not on control. And so I think inevitably uh, the, the health of the economy how well the individual Americans are who have to vote will have an effect. Uh, Reagan, I'll never forget, I was a kid, and um, I watched as a as a 18-year-old the debates between President uh, Reagan and President, uh, then candidate Reagan and President Carter. And Reagan looked at the camera during one of the uh, uh, closings of one of the debates and said, if you're better off now than you were four years ago, then vote for President Carter. But if you're not. If you're not better off now, then vote for me. And in this case, I think it's the reverse. I think most Americans uh, are benefiting greatly from President Trump's uh, policies. Uh, and the question becomes, do you want to continue to see success with the current uh, policies? Or do you want to take a chance that uh, these other folks who have said uh, openly they want to redistribute redistrib uh, wages and wealth uh, based on their political whims, you know, if that's the best way to go. So definitely, whatever whatever happens in the economy globally, whatever President Trump does with policy, will definitely have an effect on the elections. One last question. Sure. London Center. How does how does somebody learn about it? Where do they contribute? You know, how do you get your funding? So we uh, we love small donors. Uh, they can go to www.londoncenter.org. Check out uh, the current set of things we're doing. Check out our senior fellows. Uh, and then uh, we have a presence on Facebook as well. So there's any number of ways people can con contribute to us and join us. We actually have uh, a membership schedule uh, on our website that people can look at and join. Uh, we encourage people to join our mailing list so they know what we're doing. And uh, again, I think we're a bit unique by the fact that we cross spectrums. We act uh, very, uh, uh, very uh, um, uh I, I don't know how to say it without seeing sounding, you know, like we're we're, we're uh, completely different than the think tech community. I don't think we're completely different, but we do work very hard to allow for our members to include people who sign up to be part of the London Center to help uh, push our focus. Uh, we're very we try to be very pragmatic to look at the needs of of uh, the American people and protecting those those interests uh, as as part of our our daily work as a think tank. Tony, can you repeat the website one more time? Sure. It's www.londoncenter.org, and uh, you'll see a lot of our current uh, focus, a lot of current media, uh, current articles of what we're doing. Uh, and uh, thank you again for uh, having me on and uh, allowing me to talk about uh, what we're doing. Okay. We've been talking to Anthony Schaefer, president of the London Center for Policy Research. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Oh, thank you for having me. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. 
Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. This is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. Adult stem cell research is nothing new. It has been going on for decades and, in fact, has proven helpful in treating various diseases. In the process of this research, nobody has to be killed in order to obtain the stem cells. Embryonic stem cell research, on the other hand, only began in 1998 and does involve killing a new human life in order to obtain the cells. The number of diseases that have been successfully treated with embryonic stem cells is zero. They have shown no medical benefit. And even if they did, such activity is immoral. The end does not justify the means. Adult stem cells have treated various forms of leukemia, sickle cell disease, anemia, and carcinoma. Embryonic stem cells have succeeded in nothing. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Every once in a while on the show, we've had people who write articles for Crisis Magazine. We have one of those such writers right now, Charles Colum, and, and he has a case, the Catholic case against impeachment. Welcome to Connors Corner. Well, thank you. Great to be here. I understand from a common sense point of view why you might be against impeachment. But what's the Catholic case against impeachment? Well, in a nutshell, it's uh, related to the Catholic case against revolution or against war. Uh, And everyone admits that impeachment is essentially a peaceful revolution, the removal of the head of state without resort to arms. Um, Basically, you've got several criteria. The first and one of the most important is would not doing this be worse than doing it? Or to put this another way, would the likely results be more or less harmful than the status quo? Uh, And that's an extremely important issue because if the president is removed at this juncture, 
would that improve things or not? Very, very, very important question. Uh, and in fact, one of the uh, people I quote in my article, who's a Democrat, makes the argument, and I think it's the correct one, that that large chunk of the American public that voted for him would see this as a purely political matter and uh, would lose faith entirely in the system, uh, which in turn would have repercussions I'd rather not think about. Um, you know, Mutatis Mutandis, it's a bit like when uh, Richard Nixon was um, running the day of my birth, actually, against JFK, and they had credible uh, credible evidence that the election was somewhat uh, illegitimate due to the dead rising to vote for JFK in Illinois and Texas. Well, they asked President Nixon about it, that is to say his own campaign, and he chose not to challenge the election because he said that the damage that that kind of challenge would do to the system would be far worse than anything a Kennedy administration could do. That's an interesting thought that Richard Nixon had maybe a greater sense of morality than some of the Democrats today. Well, yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I, I think the, the Democrats today, the Democrats then had a higher sense of morality. I mean, one of the things you've seen over the past uh, 60 years has been the, uh, the fragmentation of this country in ways that it simply wasn't before. I mean, there's always been national divisions, political divisions, and so on. Uh, but never have you seen two such utterly alien views of reality as the two sides represent today. Um, diametrically opposed in every way. Uh, whether you, you look at uh, gender rights or abortion or uh, foreign policy or anything else you want to look at, uh, you would think that uh, the two halves of the country are living on two different planets. But at any rate, um, what's certain is that a successful impeachment of this president would cause all sorts of conflicts that um, uh, that I think really are not worth the trouble. And as I say, there are a lot of Democrats who loathe the president who feel the same way. But that's only one criteria. The, there are several others. Uh, would such a thing in and of itself be just? Now, part of the problem that the whole impeachment process this time has had is that they've, uh, they've gone looking for something to hit him with, as opposed to have something in hand. For instance, uh, the last time we did this with uh, Clinton impeachment, there wasn't really much of a question that President Clinton had uh, committed perjury. Uh, it was there, it was clear. The question that faced uh, the Senate at that time was, does that crime justify, is it sufficiently grave to, uh, to put him out? And they decided it wasn't. In this particular case, we don't even have that. We have all sorts of vague uh, suppositions and uh, assertions. But there's nothing too terribly specific um, that he can't simply respond to with the executive privilege. So, you know, it, it, again, you find yourself in a situation where number one, again, I'm, I'm looking now at, at uh, Catholic just war and just revolt uh, teaching. You've got to have a clear and present evil. And you've also got to have the fact that revolting or going to war uh, would be better than doing nothing. 
that the, the inevitably horrible results of such conflict would be worth throwing out the evil that you're that you're facing, and that really doesn't happen all that often in any in any case. To be honest with you, it does happen from time to time. Back in '44, uh, the uh, Hitler plotters, and especially von Stauffenberg, who had to carry the bomb, they wrestled with these very issues because of their Catholic consciences. Those of them were Catholic, and Stauffenberg in particular. Uh, he came to the conclusion, and I think, I think the uh, the uh, historical results proved him right, that attempted to get rid of Hitler, and all the problems that would result from that, even if they were successful, uh, was better than letting him stay. And so they risked everything. Hmm? You brought up, a, you know, a something that we never really talk about anymore. What is a just war? Well, same, same. Uh, just war requires that a you be attacked. That's always the first thing. Uh, aggression is is never uh, never permissible. B that you have some hope of success. You say so. I mean, you may be attacked, but if if you're uh, if you're Monaco and you're attacked by France, uh, <laughs> you know, really resistance probably isn't a good idea. You, you, you should try to come up with some other ideas. Um, it, it, it's not something that happens all that often. Inevitably, when, uh, and this is with, with or without uh, uh, resorting to, uh, to Catholic theory, inevitably any side in a war will try to justify its actions as either defending itself against aggression or against imminent aggression. In other words, a preemptive strike. So the Japanese would argue that Pearl Harbor I mean, not the current Japanese, but the Japanese uh, command at the time would argue that Pearl Harbor was a uh, was actually defensive. Everyone argues in terms of defense. Uh, whether or not that was really defensive, that's another issue. But launching a war of aggression for uh, one's own aggrandizement is never permissible. And a defensive war is justified, uh, first and foremost, by A, being truly defensive, and B, having a reasonable chance of success, which is linked to the issue of whether it would be better or worse to do something or do nothing. Um, it's, it's, again, if you look at these things, it's very hard to justify taking the, uh, uh, taking the first step in either war or revolution. Very hard. You really gotta have a clear and present danger it's so awful that it outweighs all other issues. Um, and that that doesn't actually happen as often as various leaderships at various times of various countries would like one to believe. Do you have an opinion, talked about preemptive strikes, do you have an opinion about Trump taking out Soleimani? Well, to tell you the truth, uh, unless he had absolute information, which he may have, I don't know, Unless you had absolute information that that was going to short circuit uh, an attack on the United States, uh, it wouldn't be justified. Now, on the other hand, if he did, that's a different story. If taking him out ensured that we would not be attacked, and he was absolutely certain of that, that's one thing. If he did it simply because he didn't like him or as a remote way of crippling Iran's ability to wage war, that's a different thing. 
and I suspect I'm not in a position to really know which of the two it was. All right, let's get back to impeachment. Do you believe that impeachment, the basis should only be on a, on a crime, and do you see any evidence of any crime in, in the proceedings so far? No, not really. I mean, you know, we, we get into areas that are terribly vague, because bear in mind, ever since World War II, we've become used to presidents are routinely exceeding the boundaries given them in the Constitution. Uh, Every president since Truman, uh, almost anyway, has uh, waged war without a declaration of war from Congress. They've been given permission from time to time by Congress, but that's not a declaration of war. And that's not what the Constitution requires. But we've come to accept this. Now, a strict constructionist from 1945 would tell you that every one of those presidents has violated the law. But we do have a thing called course of conduct. Uh, A repeatedly tolerated violation of the law seems to take on legal status itself. So uh, I would say that Trump has not done anything that we have not tolerated in prior presidents over the past several decades. Let me ask you something. This article, why did you write it from the Catholic point of view? Why, why does a Catholic point of view have to be expressed about impeachment? Well, that's a very good question. And the answer is uh, crisis tries to uh, write articles, uh, to feature articles from the Catholic point of view. Um, and that's what I was asked to do. It's a, um, you know, it's it been a long time, really, since... There, Catholics have really expressed a distinctive voice in our country, in American politics. Uh, very often, conservative Catholics have nothing to say that other conservatives don't. Liberal Catholics, the same. But once upon a time, we did have something of a distinctive voice. And I think it's time that we began to re-examine elements of our own tradition to regain one. Uh, because certainly... Looking at the bigger picture, what we've been doing in this country as a whole for the past several decades isn't working. It's brought us to this horrible place of division where we are now. Um, it is, and it is a terrible thing. You know, we have two countries that are coexisting very uneasily within the same border. Uh, and I don't frankly know where this is going to lead. If you want a, a, a geographical idea of what the two countries look like, a, um, uh, a precinct voting map of 2016 is a really good guide. Not county, not state, precinct. There you see the two Americas lined out geographically. Uh, urban versus rural, uh, minority versus majority. You see the whole thing laid out for you. And uh, honestly, I I think there are all too few voices trying to find a um, trying to find a way to rebuild the moral consensus that in this country was destroyed back in the '60s. And from that time to this, the divisions have sharpened and sharpened and sharpened until we are where we are now. I mean, think for a second. <clears throat> if let's say Trump, for the sake of argument, wins this next election. And I'm I'm pretty sure he shall, and I'm sure that he'll come through the uh, I'm sure he'll come through the uh, uh, impeachment price, uh, crisis untouched. Um, all right, 
in four years, where are we going to be? Typically, Americans tend to uh, elect the opposition party four years later, after an eight-year uh, an eight-year reign. What will that look like? What will the Democratic Party look like in four years if the way we're going continues? Um, I, I I think, frankly, it, it may well a Democratic victory in four years may be quite as might may have quite as unpleasant results as the successful impeachment now, if you see what I mean. Yes. Because in those four years, unless something happens, those divisions are only going to sharpen. And if you look at the uh, caliber of Democratic candidates this go-round, uh, why would they be any different or any less divisive than uh, in uh, four years' time? No, I mean, it gives us uh, pause to pray for our country, but we'll see what happens. In, in, in the all Somebody listening out there, they never heard of Crisis Magazine. Where can they Where can they find Crisis Magazine? How do they do that? Online. Simplest thing in the world. Uh, just go to whatever your, uh, your search engine is, put in Crisis Magazine, and poof, there it will appear. And what kind of articles, besides the Catholic case of impeachment, what kind of articles would, would you, they touch on? A wide range of things. Uh, because what Crisis basically attempts to look at politics, at culture, at the arts, and all, all sorts of things, really. We try to be the, uh, the sort of um, general interest magazine that, uh, oh, I don't know, Commonweal and that kind of thing started out as. Uh, because, again, there really, there really aren't that many general interest magazines anymore, and certainly not from a Catholic point of view. Charles, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Well, you're very welcome, and thank you for having me. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, ConnorsAndSullivan.com. When a desperate parent calls YCS, seeking help for their child with special needs, we are there to answer the call. Our staff provides compassionate care to children affected by trauma, autism, or developmental disabilities. Can you help us provide the services needed to keep families together? Find out how you, your company, or organization can volunteer. Learn more at YCS.org. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, uh, a couple of days ago, I was at our Legatus convention in uh, Florida, and they were playing President Trump address to the Right to Life March. And right next to the president, cheering loudly, was our next guest, Reverend Dr. Alveda King. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, everybody. 
Now, usually we each year we've always had you in February because it's it's Black History Month. One of the right. things, you, obviously, you're involved with Right to Life right now. Can you connect the dots between the Right to Life and Black History Month and Planned Parenthood? Let me do something. And I've said many things about it, but I'm going to tell you the most recent revelation I received. I was at the March for Life week. I was at the rally with the president at the prayer meeting that morning with Priests for Life that morning. And uh, the next on Saturday, I was with Students for Life. So as I was walking into the Pro-Life Summit, the Youth Pro-Life Summit, I kept looking around for the African-American pro-life students. They weren't there. And I was like, God, what is this? Where, where are the blacks? Is, are they not inviting the blacks or whatever? And I just heard this as clear. They're dead. They are dead. So listen to this. Okay. Most of the young people who were at the march, and there were hundreds of thousands of people, I would even dare say 60% of the people there were under 40. Now, even if some people were pro-abortion, in the 60s and 70s, and later became pro-life, we saw young people whose parents and grandparents had taken them to pro-life rallies. But they're mostly Caucasian. You had some ethnic, you know, Latino and african American, some, but not many. And I said, well, where are the black people? Well, they're dead. Or their mothers and grandmothers were victims of Planned Parenthood told that abortion was health care. So when you think about it, civil rights for the unborn, no matter what color the baby is, we're one blood anyway. We're a human race. We're not separate races. Our blood doesn't make us different races. We have red blood, different color skin. So if it's unjust or unjust to make a person a slave, then it's unjust to kill a baby in the womb who doesn't have an attorney to argue for that person's right to live. I hope I didn't take too long explaining that. No, not at all. But can you explain who Margaret Sanger was, what her philosophy was? Margaret Sanger, honestly, was a miserable woman. I don't know if somebody abused her, hurt her, or what. But her agenda was to make sure that if women didn't want to have babies, they wouldn't have babies. And it didn't matter if they had surgery, if they had shots and pills, and then later when abortion became legal, it didn't matter if they killed the baby in the womb. If that woman did not want to have a baby, she didn't have to have one. That was Margaret Sanger's agenda. She also was a racist, and she was uh, a, a white supremacist, eugenicist, an Aryan person. We have the Aryan race, and only people that look like us deserve to even be on this planet. So she was a racist and a very rabid, angry, angry feminist. And uh, I know that sounds harsh, but I don't know what happened to her. Something happened in her life that disappointed her, that put her on that terrible agenda. Uh, you see others with that same agenda, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for example. So I'm not trying to make the ladies look bad. I had abortions, too. I was a rabbit feminist in the 60s and 70s. And then I was born again in 83. So when I became born again, I said, no, these are little people with rights. What am I doing? even though I had had secret abortions. So I just think it's a matter of not understanding the sanctity of all human rights. My uncle Martin Luther King Jr. said, when you value the human personality, you won't kill anybody. So we have devalued the human personality in favor of the woman's personality. And Margaret Sanger led that movement throughout her life.
And I mean, she was she pretty much had the same philosophy of life as the Nazis in in Germany at the same time period. Right, eugenicists, eugenics. It was basically, you know, the master race. It was the same same philosophy. Now, Dr. The Aryan race, only one race. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Dr. King, what are you doing today? You're you're associated with Priests for Life. Can you tell people what that's about? I am the executive director of Civil Rights for the Unborn with Priests for Life. I'm a non-denominational Christian. I work for a Catholic organization. And then I have my own ministry, Alveda King Ministries, and that's the evangelistic outreach that I do as evangelist Alveda King. What impact did it have on you that the president addressed the Right to Life rally? I was so honored to just be there. He's the most pro-life president ever. No other president in the United States, modern history or history, has ever attended a March for Life rally in Washington, D.C. So that was very encouraging. President Trump makes promises and then keeps the promises. He says that they're going to rip the little babies apart in their mother's womb. That's just not good. Having people in jail when they need to be reunited with their families, we're going to do that. Having all the jobs overseas and then having to have immigrants do the work over here and not give our own people jobs, we're not going to do that. We're going to bring the jobs home. So, But he never said America only. He just said America first. And so all of the promises that he made, and I, even on calling him a racist, when he was candidate Trump, he said, we all believe the same. I said, wow, he read Acts 17 26, the one blood. God made all people. We're human beings. I love it. And so he has kept these promises. He's continuing to do so. And uh, it seems to be against all odds, but he knows how to swim upstream. He swims well. And I was in that current on the March for Life Day, and it was wonderful. I know you're pressed for time, Doctor. Can you just tell the people, where can they learn more about your ministry? com. I have books and music and all kinds of information, and civil rights for the unborn.org. I am a member of the family that gave America and the world Martin Luther King Jr. My dad is Reverend A.D. King, my mother Naomi King, also civil rights leaders and warriors. My mother is still living. So you can find me there and uh, reach out to me. And God bless everybody. God bless you, Dr. King. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, sir. Bye. Again, if you guys want to check on Priest for Life and Alveda King's ministry, I encourage you to do so. She's a great lady. Sometimes she can be more outspoken than she was today. But even today, as far as Margaret Sanger is concerned, she was pretty outspoken. Mel, I, I, I want to talk to you about the Catholic case against impeachment. What, what did you just tell me when we were you know, <laughs> no, off no, the air? Um, first of all, I think every Catholic should have an act- active role in, you know— our future. Uh, I like his stance, though, but his argument that we should fight this impeachment because there's really no leader that's that can replace the one, the incumbent is something that's you know well, I, it, it doesn't exclusively belong to a Catholic. That's what I'm saying. No, but I think his point is that you don't impeach a president without one just cause. And then even if you're going to impeach a president, are the results going to hurt or help the country? And of course, in his opinion, impeaching President Trump would hurt the country 
And for that case, we should be opposed to the uh, impeachment because, again, as far as a crime was considered, everybody knew that uh, President Clinton committed a crime. He committed perjury. But the question was not whether he was guilty of perjury. The question was, is the fact that he was guilty of perjury grounds for removal as a president? And it was generally agreed at the time, whether you agree with it or not, it was generally agreed that it was not. But, you know, he also brings the concept of a just war, which I have not heard for Many years. When, when is it a time for a just war or not? That's very profound. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I know some people can say, how can you have such a thing as a just war? People are getting killed. But again, for the sake of argument, when he was talking about Count von Stauffenberg in his revolt against the Nazis and uh, toward the latter end of World War II, who could say that was not a just revolt? It failed, but it was a just revolt. And I think millions of lives would have probably been saved if if the coup by the German generals was successful, I think it would have saved millions of lives. To one point that I was talking about over the weekend with Jerry Crowley, one of the things that uh, Ed Barge used to criticize President Roosevelt for when he put in unconditional surrender, what that did was take away the incentive for the German generals to get rid of Hitler earlier because it was unconditional surrender. They had nothing to bargain with, nothing to, to win. So there was more support for the generals who keep pace with Hitler, as opposed there might have been if they had some kind of negotiated peace with the generals who may have replaced Hitler. So we're getting toward the end of the show. Mel, you want to say goodbye to the people? Uh, thank you for listening. Again, if you have some estate planning questions, we have a lot of attorneys at Connors and Solomon who can help you. Our number is 718-238-6500. We're here in Brooklyn, but we can get to you in Manhattan, Staten Island, in Mill Village, and Bayside. Now, you are admitted in the Philippines, so you can ask questions about real estate in the Philippines. Feel free to do so. I'll be here. David Kincaid taking us away. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.